0: I love River City. This is this is our jam. We just we're laid back. We kind of we roll in late. Our city group starts late all the time too. It's just kind of a River City thing. <laughs> How you guys doing? Okay. Let me um let me just start by saying I'm not a pastor here. Okay. I'm total volunteer. I volunteer in a couple of different ways. My name's Josh Franklin. Been here for about seven or eight years. So uh, I'm just kind of one of the lay people here. Okay. And I teach on the teaching team sometimes, lead a city group and do some men stuff and participate in the ministry leadership team. So I'm I'm excited to be a part of this that they let me come and talk about Christology and kind of jump in on the series. I, I love this uh, this topic. I love talking about Jesus. I love rabbit holes I like to think. I'm not creative. I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician. But my mind does not stop when it comes to things that are existential. And so I just like to think and think and think. And I enjoy it. It's not like torment for me. I love it. And so in our group, actually, too, in our city group, we're going through the parables of Jesus, which is a blast. And uh, it's hard. It, the parables are multidimensional. But we're just in a place where we, we want to look at Jesus. And we want to dissect what he says because we believe that whatever comes out of his mouth is coming out of the mouth of God so um this is like right in line with that so Christology is just you know we're looking at the person and work of Jesus so this morning I just kind of want to give you something to think about I'm not going to try to tell you what to think I'm just going to give you something to think about okay uh now thinking about Christology um it's theology Right? And so I think Alan had mentioned this a few weeks ago. Jesus is perfect theology. So if we want to understand God, we understand him in Jesus. And, and so when you start talking about that, you know, there's good theology and bad theology. And there was this quote by William Paul Young who wrote The Shack. And I thought it was a, an interesting idea and I liked it. And I think we connect to it as River City. But let's just start here. We'll dive in. I'll give you something to think about, give you something to wrestle with. Also, let me just give you a little spoiler alert. Part of the talk, it's a little different, trying something a little different. Might crash and burn, but it might be okay. I don't know. It's how we do it here at River City. But I, I have a friend of mine who's not a believer, he doesn't buy this whole thing. And so I thought I would interview him and get him to answer this question that's in the title of the series, Who Do You Say That I Am? And I'm trying to weave that in here. Okay, so I'm going to bring some of that into this too, and then we'll see where we get. All right? Maybe we'll land, maybe we won't. But here we go. <laughs> so, William Paul Young, uh, I like him. I like, I like how he approaches God and, and how he thinks. I like thinkers. And so he says this bad theology tends to be transactional and propositional rather than relational and mysterious. And I tend to agree with that. I think at River City, we value relationship with the Creator and we value the mystery of interacting with His Spirit that's really key to us so as we go into christology we're just wanting to slow down relook at jesus but we don't want to pull him away from experiencing god in him and so we're big and serious about personal revelation in jesus and encountering him that's why we make space every sunday to at least have a shot to do that once a week okay so let's not let's not move away from mystery At this church we're fine with it, we're comfortable with it, we chase the Holy Spirit, there's tons of mystery in how He moves and interacts with us, and we want to make sure that we have the opportunity to engage with the Creator and have a personal revelation with Him through Jesus, okay? So for us, the relational aspect of Christology is supreme, it's supreme. So we're not just trying to give you ideas, but we're trying to bring you into a space of experiencing those ideas, does that make sense? All right, let's do it. Let's keep going. So we get to this question, and it always starts here, is who is Jesus? It's the next slide. It's it's a brilliant question. It's a question that the New Testament writers asked quite a bit. And when we look at Jesus, really we're looking at um, what's going on inside of God. There's a San Friscan friar by the name of Richard Roy, and he just, you know, he's a big deep thinker, but he asked this big question, um, what is going on inside of God? And and when I read him asking that question, I got so excited because I love thinking about that. What is going on inside of God? And Jesus is the revelation of what's going, inside of, going on inside of God. And then we see the New Testament writers, they begin to try to put language to it and try to tell us what's going on inside of Jesus. And they say really big things. And I know some of them have been mentioned over the last few weeks with Alan and Brian, but I thought we would just go, just take a quick peek at what a couple of the guys said Uh, about Jesus and what was really kind of dwelling inside of him. They were just using the best language they could at the time to try to describe and convey the immensity of what dwells inside of Jesus. One of those is John. It's the next slide. And he refers to Jesus as the Logos. The Logos is a Greek philosophical term used to describe the power or the force or the being that holds all things together. John's the mystic out of all the four Gospels. And so he's trying to describe Whatever it is that you know that's holding everything together is found in Jesus. And then Paul, usually not probably considered mystical. He's the next slide. He says a few things about Jesus in quite mystical, big cosmic terms. He says, in him all things hold together. So everything that comprises life finds its source and origination and sustenance in Jesus. That it's all held together in him. And then as he goes on in this letter, I think this one was to the Colossians, he says, "...the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." So Jesus is the blueprint. He's the secret sauce. He's the purpose of life. He's the intention of God made known towards humanity. He is where we find life. And these writers are trying to say these big things to these ancient people To show them that that force that sustains and creates and animates life is found in Jesus. The author of the letter to the Hebrews, he says it this way. It's the next slide. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So, very precise language trying to describe the cosmic hope of the universe, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it, you can see, you can see that the New Testament writers are compelling us towards, or their readers towards, a personal revelation of God in Jesus. You can see that's quite evident. And so we have this this question that pops up for me that's next. That was that the New Testament uh, writers were were really trying to answer for their readers, and we get to answer that today. And it's the next question. It's the next slide. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to us? Who is he to me? The the title of the series is, is Who Do You Say That I Am? And that comes from an interaction between him and Peter and Matthew and another gospel. And and we will touch on that at the end here because I wanted to just really spend some time there. I didn't want to throw a lot of doctrine at you or anything like that. I'm not trained in that. I'm I'm not your pastor. So they do that. But I just wanted to wrestle with some questions in a personal way. And I thought I'd do something different here. So my friend, I have breakfast with him every week. We've been friends for quite a while. He's one of my deepest, closest friendships. And we've committed to each other to have breakfast every week until one of us dies. That's, that's, that's kind of our jam. And so every week we get together, and he gets an egg and cheese kolache, piping hot with a pour-over coffee, and I get a bowl of granola, Greek yogurt, drizzled and honey, berries, and a pour-over coffee. And we do this every week. We have a rhythm, okay? And we, we're on different spectrums spiritually, he believes different things and I believe, and we know that, and that's fine. It doesn't really affect our closeness or our willingness to be vulnerable with each other or our willingness to enter into interesting conversations. And so we talk about a whole host of things, and uh, sometimes politics, sometimes lots of life, art, books, whatever, and sometimes spirituality. And I wanted to pose this question to him because I, I think it's, it's a good question. We, we actually all answer it anyways Every day of our lives, whether we realize it or not, we're answering the question who we think Jesus is with our life every single day. And so what we're just trying to do as a church is slow down and unpack it a bit personally and bring it back down to personal revelation of who God is in Jesus. So I thought I will ask my friend this question and I will record his answers like a journalist and then I will share it with my church and hope they don't tar and feather me for for expressing it to them. But just so you know, I love this guy. I love him, and I want to be at the table with him, and I want to talk about Jesus for him. And I tricked him into talking about Jesus for an hour, okay? And he just, he gave it to me, because we're honest with each other. And when else is he going to do that, right? So I asked him the question, and I'm just going to give you some of his answers and try to weave them into... Um, how the disciples interacted with Jesus and see if we can just learn something from where he's at and, and why he's there. Now, he was a Christian and he walked away from it. He actually used to go to this church a few years ago. And for whatever reason, and everybody has their reason, uh, but he walked away from it, okay? But I'm not gonna walk away from him. I'm not gonna do that. He's, he's one of my best friends and I'm gonna continue to talk about these things with him. And I care about what he thinks. And I need you to know that too, that in this church, we do care about where people come up with their beliefs and why they have them and hold them, and we want to hear about them. We want space to exist for people to question and to doubt and to even maybe criticize. I'm comfortable with that because God can handle that. Plus, it's seen through all of the entirety of the Bible. Gideon wrestles with God and questions him. I mean, you know, it's over and over again. The psalmist. So we need to make space for that to happen. So that's what I'm doing with my buddy. So I asked him as he's chomping down on his kolache, uh, and drinking his, um, his finely roasted Mexican coffee. Uh, what, who do you say Jesus is? And so he responds to me and he says, after he rumbles about in his mouth chewing on the calachi, he, he thinks, he's a pretty thoughtful guy. He says, Jesus is a symbol. He becomes what you need him to be. And I thought, whew, that's interesting. You want to unpack that for me a little bit? Uh, so he thinks a little bit further. And uh, he goes on to say, right now, I, I don't need him to be a savior figure. I need him to be a moral foundation. And so I'm trying not to react. I'm trying not to react. I don't want to react. I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to absorb. And so I think about that a little bit, symbol, moral foundation. Sounds to me like, like you're telling me that maybe sometimes we make him into who we want him to be. And I thought, oh, man, I think I've done that before. right You know? And he might be speaking out of past experience himself. But what if sometimes we do make him into what we want him to be? We make him into our politics or our ambitions or our basis for winning arguments. What if, what if he does become a means to our ends sometimes? How profound for him to make that astute observation. He's probably making it about himself from a, at a certain point. But man, I'm just thinking, wow, that's interesting. Because the disciples did it too, you know, when they first started following Jesus and they're using the term Messiah, it's a loaded term, they're seeing in him what they want to see in him, that he's going to conquer and overthrow the oppressors with a new system that's like the old system, but just more violent and more efficient and puts them in the ruler, the rulership. They're seeing that on Jesus, kind of making him a symbol at first, like, oh man, I do that too sometimes. Now, please know, this, there's no rebuke here. I'm not rebuking you. Also, that's, that's the pastor's job. I'm not doing that, okay? I just like to think about these things. You can leave this place, chew on it, and say, no, nah, I don't buy it. Totally fine, but at least you thought about it, okay? At least you wrestled with it. So I thought, all right. Okay, so I pried a little bit further, and we, we talk a little bit more in our conversation, and he begins to describe how he sees us as Christians following Jesus, and he uses his version of a parable he says, you know, sometimes it's like it's kind of like cramming for a test. You know when you cram for a test and you cram all the things that you believe, you know, just for the sake of answering the questions the next day and then they all dissipate? You never really learned it. You just want to get to it from point A to point B. He felt like sometimes we as Christians follow Jesus in that way, as if we're cramming for a test just trying to stuff all the right things to believe so that we can get to the right place. And failing to learn what's going on, and I thought... Don't react. I didn't want to react. Then I'm chewing on it. Oh, man, disciples did the same thing. That's why I think we see them in this three-year journey with Jesus where he's taking him through this process of re-understanding what it means for him to be Messiah, for him to be the Christ. So they're relearning. The word disciple means learner. So they're not cramming. They try to cram. He corrects. Right? I love it. It's this process of trial and error. There's freedom to mess up. And they're learning the ways of God through the ways of the Master. The God in the flesh. Jesus. And he's bringing them to this personal revelation of who God is in him that's actually never meant to stop. So that, And, and you can see this because once he, he, he makes the payment on the cross, he resurrects, they start their ministries, they continue to have personal revelation with Jesus that holds them up, helps them, empowers them, and pushes them through really tough and difficult times. He's walking them into this personal revelation of who God is in Jesus. So, we're finishing up our breakfast, finishing up the coffee. He says a few things, and one just really stands out to me. And I don't know what you're going to think about this one. I don't know. But it's okay, you, cannot, you can hate it, you can not like it, or whatever, but when I, when I heard it and he said it to me, I just was like, oh, this is, I need to consider this. Go ahead and put it on the screen. He says to me, he meets fewer and fewer Christians that follow Jesus and more that actually follow Christianity. That He doesn't believe. And I was like, whoa, that can preach. Oh, now look, again, I don't feel guilted or shamed by that. I just feel like, okay, that's fine. It's a check. It's a check. Holy Spirit, I, I really believe Holy Spirit was giving me this message through him. And I thought, well, that's, you know, it's good to just chew on that. I mean, who, are, who am I following? That's why we're going through Christology. We're trying to make sure as a church we're still following Jesus, right? Not our own idea of him, not somebody else's idea of him. We want it to be our own faith, our own personal revelation, Because I think my buddy, he he had this realization a few years ago that for some reason he felt like his beliefs weren't his own. Somebody gave them to him, and he just couldn't live with that. And so you let go of them, and whatever happens, you you, you, you either come back to them or you don't. But he felt like they weren't his own. And that actually is a, a really key principle of the kingdom. We cannot live off other people's revelations. We can't borrow them. We can't borrow other people's faith. We can try to. We can try to live off somebody else's faith for a little while, but when the pressure comes, when life begins to become very difficult, when tragedy strikes, loss comes, success is achieved in excess, those things press against that personal revelation of God and Jesus, that faith. And if it's not our own, it collapses. We've seen that with a lot of people, actually. <clears throat> so here at this church, I mean, for me, I feel like this is my passion. I finally figured it out. It's taken about a decade, but I finally figured it out. Yes, this is what I'm passionate for. I mean, yeah, I love Jesus, but I I want people to have space to work it out with him. I want them to have space to come to their own personal revelation of who God is in him. I want them to have their own faith. I want them to know that their beliefs are their beliefs, and I want them to know that they can experience and encounter all of these things here with me, with us, in this church. And so... This interaction between Jesus and Peter, I think, evidences this. If we take a look at Matthew, and then we'll finish up, he, it's something interesting with Jesus. You've got to not assume things about him when you see him in the Scriptures. It's in Matthew 16, and we'll just go through it. But Jesus is, uh, you, you just can't assume things. I, I, for a long time, when I started growing a long beard, people would assume things about me. Like when we were in Indiana, because we had four kids when we were up there, they assumed I was Amish, because I had... I'm just not kidding. At work, people thought I was Amish because uh, my beard was pretty long. And, and some people were scared of me. Um, I remember pumping gas one, mor- one night. It was like 9 p.m. or something. It was really late. And there was a lady pumping gas. And I rolled up. And it was cold in Indiana. And I had this long pea coat on, and my beard and my beanie. And, and she just kind of finished up and left really quick <laughs> as soon as I pulled up. You know, I know I've got a scowl sometimes, but I really am a teddy bear, just so you know. And so so you just got to be careful not to assume things about people. And the same is with Jesus, because we're talking about God in the flesh here. You know, he speaks, it's God speaking. So we have to slow down. And if he emphasizes something, we got to stop and say, why is he emphasizing that? So him and the disciples finish up some ministry, and he's having this exchange with Jesus and uh, or with Peter and the disciples. And he asks them this, this question, the same question that's the title of the series, Uh, he starts by saying this, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which is how he referred to himself often. And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Maybe he didn't say it in that tone. But I love that pivot to the personal now. It's not just object. Because in the ancient world, God is objective God is apart from me. God is not near. I have to appease him to get him to do the things that I need to do to have favor or to overcome the oppressors or what have you. Remember the symbol thing? God's far away, but no. Jesus pivots to the person and says, who do you say that I am? Uh, and then Peter replied, you are the Christ, which means the anointed one, the son of the living God. And so he's having this moment of personal revelation of who Jesus is, that God is in him. And Jesus gets excited. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And that is a peculiar saying because Jesus is making the difference that you came to this understanding, not by man's idea, but by an experience or an encounter with God somehow. That this was a spiritual, personal revelation of who he is, who God is in Jesus. And he, and he praises it. And he's excited about it. And it's interesting that he, he makes such an emphasis on it because as we continue in the exchange, if you go to the next set of scriptures, he begins to prophesy over Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So he praises him for this personal revelation, and then he prophesies over him knowing that Peter has a lot of he- work ahead of him. He has failure ahead of him, and then he has a ton of ministry ahead of him. And he was going to need this personal releva- revelation that Jesus is the Christ to lean on because things were going to get hard. The temperature was going to get turned up and it needed to not be a borrowed understanding it needed to be his own understanding of who the messiah is and what he's coming to do because he was getting ready to express that and so jesus praises it and then he says that interesting thing don't tell anybody At the end, and he says it often. And I think, I think maybe why he did this, and you might disagree, but I think maybe why he did this is because that word Messiah was a loaded term to most of the people in the ancient world, and especially the Jews, because again, they have been oppressed by the Romans for hundreds of years. You say Messiah, they're thinking, yes, overthrow these fools, and, and, and let's get back into power, sort of thing. And so Jesus is waiting for the moment when they can begin to understand who the Messiah really is in him and what he's actually there to do, bringing a new system, a new way, a new personal revelation of God in him. So we don't have to end somberly. We don't, this is not a sad thing. This is a good thing. This is, we get to leave this place and you can chew on a couple of these things. You can chew on that saying by my friend, you know, are we following Jesus or are we following something else essentially? Uh, and, if you've had this personal revelation of who God is in Jesus, great. Now, help me make space for other people to do that in this church too, to have that space, to work it out, to doubt it, and to criticize it and what have you. But let's be there and let's help walk them into that personal revelation. We do that every Sunday, making space here. We, we want to take risks of the church to encounter the mysterious. But if you are the person who's ready to just walk out on this thing, and just leave the faith altogether, and you just can't make sense of how the eternal and the real intersect in Jesus because your experience isn't lining up with it, don't go. I'm just saying don't don't leave yet. Come, stay here. Talk to us about it. You're not going to be judged. We're going to let you work it out. We're going to help you walk into a personal revelation that's your own of who God is in Jesus, but don't leave. And maybe that's who the talk is for today. I don't know. But I don't want you to leave this place. I don't want you to walk like we don't care or that God doesn't care or that you're completely alone on the planet. It's just just not true. And we should work out these things together as a faith community. And we should create space to encounter the spirit and its mystery. And we should look at Jesus as God in the flesh and hang on every word that he says and dissect it and wrestle with it and grapple with it. Because, again, that's, that's in accordance with our tradition as people of faith. We, we wrestle with things. We, we, we struggle with things. We ask questions of God. We do that. That's all in our holy scriptures. So let's not stop doing that. So let's give it a shot. Go ahead and stand. Let's take a risk this morning. And let's see if God speaks to us up here today. Part of relationship is taking risk, you know, and, and part of this whole prayer ministry thing is rendering ourselves vulnerable to hear from God. And I know that's hard. Uh, but we value that here at Riverside Church. So we want to give you a chance to do that. So let's, let's pray. I'll pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And so I just ask that you would come this morning and you would refresh our personal revelation of you that you would come meet us, that you would come grab us if we're on the way out, that you would say something, a word, anything, a feeling, just showing us that you're here and you're for us and, and you're, you're willing to meet us in the questions and the doubts and the criticisms. You're not going to leave us. You're with us. I just pray you'd come. I pray for lots of personal revelation here. I pray for freedom this morning, for people to approach You, Jesus, that nothing needs to hold them from coming to you and exploring your goodness and your love for them. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray for freedom inside of this room in Jesus' name for everyone to be able to approach Jesus. We love you so much. Bless this time, Holy Spirit.